Hey, this is Stu at Bitcoin Fi, and I'm here for part two, continuing some of my story. I shared all the craziness that happened in my younger years, and how that led me to this point of kind of being a money nerd. And I kind of just shared what happened in the last episode, so I wanted to share more of how it affected me going forward, just all of the stuff that happened with my parents, with my mom's death with the divorce, with being defrauded by my mom for breast implants. So if you missed part one, go check out last week's episode, and we'll get started with part two right now. Okay, some side effects that you could say from everything that happened in the first 20-ish years of my life. All of the issues around money that I started to see. Basically, I mentioned before that I got really into investing in 2009 and on forward, and I studied a lot. And so I really became quite obsessed with studying some good investors and just learning the basics of the stock market. And stocks really are not that complicated. It's just shares of a business that the company takes public, allowing the everyday person to become a part owner of the business. And when they issue stock, they're basically selling out part of their ownership. And therefore, they can raise money whenever a company goes public and the shares get bought up. In 2021, there was a ton of what's called an initial public offering. A ton of stocks went public, a ton of companies went public, and therefore issued stock, I should say. And that really has not been the case for 2022, and that has to do with interest rates rising from the central bank. And this is all kind of complicated. I do have an episode coming out sometime soon that's going to be talking more about the central bank and how that all plays with with the Federal Reserve, with interest rates, with inflation, with the monetary supply. So look for that to come out sometime in the next couple of weeks. But I became very interested in basically trying to accumulate wealth. I had, I had read the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, I want to say when I was 18 or 19, and that really is a mindset shift. I know that there's a lot of um, criticism for that book in some areas, as far as how factual it is uh, and how made up it is, I don't really care about that. It's kind of a mindset shift from what people tend to think is like there's the good student slash good employee, good at following directions type camp, and then there's the outside-the-box thinkers that are more entrepreneurial, more creative, and it's just a reframe of your money. It's a really good book. It's not hard to read. I would highly recommend Rich Dad Poor Dad. So I started to get really, really frugal. Obviously, I kind of had a blog before Bitcoin Fi, and it was uh, it was called frugalstew.com. It's still there. I haven't really updated it in a long time. But I have become a person that is pretty good at delayed gratification. So basically what, what I mean by that is whenever I want something, I tend to just wait for something to come up used, whether it's shoes like right now, I'm looking for some on-cloud shoes. I'm just waiting for a slightly used size 10 to come along. I'll clean them up, sanitize, and then wear those. So anything from shoes, secondhand, cars, always secondhand. Basically, whenever I can, I tend to wait for someone to kind of be in a pinch and need to get rid of something so that I can kind of swoop in. I'm solving their problem, and I'm getting a really good deal on whatever it is that I want. And I've done this with so many things. One of my other tendencies that on occasion will drive my wife crazy is 
I will see something perfectly good on the side of the road and I will decide that I should take that and I either use it myself or maybe it's something for my kids or maybe it's something that I could sell or something that I could fix up and then sell. I mean, I've done this with shop vacs. There was a shop vac on the side of the road and it actually needed nothing, but it was going to the dump. Don't know why. So I just sold it. Uh, the other day I picked up these little beach chairs for my kids and they, they love them. They're super light. They fold up. There's nothing wrong with them, but yet they were heading to the dump. Uh, every once in a while I'll pick up a pallet and I'll stick it in the backyard and I break that down for my fire pit as just free wood that otherwise would once again go to the dump. So just things like that. I kind of have these quirks where I, I despise wasting things and I know that this is a level that a lot of people just don't go, but it's just kind of become part of my personality and uh, it's fun for me and it, and it's quirky and it's conversation starting so not everyone has to be this way but I am and I'm not ashamed of it I'm not embarrassed by it um, I think it's fun and you really can get creative and get a lot of good things that are used or that are heading for the dump but basically I used to go around on garbage day specifically looking for things that are perfectly fine that I could fix up and and sell anyway there was actually a, a funny story where one of my neighbors was moving and they put some pieces of furniture that were not that bad, but they just put the, these pieces of furniture out on the curb for the garbage truck to take. And the first day they put something there, and then I went and grabbed it from the curb. The second day, the neighbor noticed that it was gone, and then he suspected me. He sent me a picture of another piece of furniture that he was going to throw away and asked me if I wanted it. And then finally the third day, he ended up just bringing it over and saying, this is for you. I figured you'd want it. And of course I did. And we actually, we sold one of those pieces of furniture. We used one in our home and we gave one to a friend that had just moved into the area and didn't have a lot of furniture. So that sort of thing I do all the time. Now I would totally do this more often, but I don't have an opportunity to so much anymore, but I used to dumpster dive and maybe I should get back in the habit because there's a new grocery store not that far from me. Um, but basically we used to live behind a grocery store and I saw perfectly good chocolate milk, still cold, grabbed it from the dumpster, it was great. And it was right on its expiration date, but you learn things like milk is good even past its expiration date. It's, it goes bad about seven days after you open it, as long as it has been refrigerated. So things like that you start to pick up and learn. So that's one thing that I kind of have is this extreme frugality. Even when I would buy shoes... So believe it or not, I'm still wearing shoes from 2013. Yes, in 2022. They're pretty ratted out. I just ordered a new pair of shoes. But what I used to do is I would get a buy one, get one free, or buy one, get one half off. And I would buy two pairs of the exact same shoe anytime I went shoe shopping. And that's how I would do it. And then I'd wear those shoes for like four or five years. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much what I have done. Um, but I am finally getting some new Kizik's I'm pretty excited about. Basically, the heel is designed to be smushed down so that you can just slide them on and off really easy because I do that to my Nikes, but it ends up destroying and blowing out the back of the shoe because it's not designed to bend that way, but the Kizik is designed to bend that way. So it seems really cool. I'm excited for them, and I didn't wait for a deal or anything. I just went for it. So it totally depends, and, and this is a echoing a po another podcast called Choose a Fi, but it really comes down to what you value and... I don't know. For me, finance is kind of like a game, and so is anything with consumerism. And also my hate for waste. All those things play together to make these kind of frugal quirks that I have. So when it comes to clothing, I'm also very frugal. 
I hardly ever will buy any new clothing. Usually it's like shirts that I get from some volunteering event or from a 5K or something like that. Or my wife or my mother-in-law will get me a shirt or my, my sister. Usually it's a woman giving me a shirt, someone in the family, that I would not buy myself because I feel like I don't need any more shirts. I have the shirts that I need. So I wear shirts still. I know for a fact I've got some shirts from 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, several shirts in that range that I'm still wearing. And it's always been like that for me. Like they still fit. They don't have holes in them. They're still fine. So I just keep wearing them. And my wife finds that embarrassing. But, you know, I work from home. It's not like I'm going anywhere and impressing anyone on a daily basis. And she also just gave me a quote. She said, you need to change your definition of worn out because some of my shirts, she says like, Yes, they're not worn out like rags, but they are also not presentable. And so there's a fine line, I guess you could say, but I I have no shame with this. I don't mind looking like I've been working in the yard. I don't mind wearing a shirt with holes or with bleach stains because I have one with bleach stains that I accidentally messed up. And I'll still wear it every once in a while. It, it works. And uh, I like the shirt. So I don't know. Maybe that's a weird thing. So anyway, there was this one day I was talking with this coworker, and he was saying how his wife needs to go back to school shopping, not just for the kids, but also for her own clothes. And I was just like, why? She's fully grown. And my friend just busted up laughing, and he's like, I'll have to tell her that, that you're fully grown. You don't need any more clothes, like the clothes you have fit. So I'm very into that. Like, You can also look into how much clothes the average American has, now versus in the 50s and it's just an insane amount of clothes it's also very water intensive like resources and again that waste like as I learn about this I'm not like a green person freak you know I'm pretty middle of the road I just like efficiency I just don't like waste and so when I know how much water goes into shirts like that kind of affected me that okay I'm going to take up less resources if I can and I'll just put that money to work. So anyway, that's just me. But those are some frugal irregularities that I have with my clothing. And even with my hobbies, I already mentioned how I grew up and my parents had these debt struggles. And my dad, for years, he wanted to get me a dirt bike because he liked riding dirt bikes. He wanted to get one for himself as well and for my sister. And he had to delay that purchase many times over the years until finally I did get a dirt bike. I think I was 13 or 14. And that became my main hobby, my main sport. I became obsessed with dirt bikes. I would get five dirt bike magazine subscriptions a month. And I would watch every race that I could and follow everything. And we were very into it. And it's a very expensive hobby. Both can be health-wise, depending on what you're doing, but also just maintenance of a motorcycle, tires, gas, everything else, the parts that you break. And so even though throughout my entire adult life, I could have afforded to maintain and keep doing this hobby with dirt bikes. I gave it up because I wanted to keep my money instead of my dirt bikes. Um, you know, I was going to be going to school. I didn't have a garage. I didn't have places to store things. So I just stopped with the dirt bikes and I said, I'll put that on hold. And even in the last eight or so years post-college where I've been a homeowner, I still haven't picked it back up. But I'm gearing up to be ready for it. We're saving up for that because it's time to have a little bit of fun 
and I'm not going to be doing motocross and jumping and really putting my health at risk. I just want to have some fun on a motorcycle because that's what I grew up doing and I'd love to share that with my kids. But I'll just say that I recognize that the younger I started investing and the more I had to invest, the better off I would be in the future. And for me, it was worth giving up that hobby for 12 or 13 years before I pick it up again. What I did instead was I took up ping pong. And I have another great story about that where we were in the neighborhood and we saw this listing for a yard sale and it said they had a ping pong table. And my wife and I were like, okay, we're going to walk over there. We don't have a vehicle that can hold a ping pong table. So we're just going to walk over there. We can wheel it home. And if it's less than 100 bucks, we're buying that ping pong table. And so we go up to the garage sale and we're the first people there at 6 in the morning, actually. We got there at like 5.45. We lay claim to the ping pong table. Several people at 5.55 showed up and were looking at it. And I'm just hanging on to it saying, like, we already bought it for 10 bucks. Sorry. And we start, like, rolling it down the sidewalk. And we have a mile to go. And as we were going down, it was not going very well pushing this this uh, ping pong table down the sidewalk. All of the little bumps and the little pebbles on the sidewalk were kind of tripping up these tiny wheels. They were overpowered by the weight of the ping pong table. And we actually went past this guy that was pulling weeds in his yard, and he had a pickup truck sitting on the curb. And as we pushed the ping pong table by, I said, Good morning, that's a nice truck you have. And he started um, talking with us, and he was like, Y'all don't need a ride, do you? How far are you going to push that thing? It's like, oh, we only have like almost a mile left. And he's like, put it in the truck. And I said, I'll pay you 20 bucks if you give us a ride. He's like, no, just put it in the truck. We'll get you there. And so anyway, we took it apart, put it in, and then he drove us to our apartment. And then we had a ping pong table. So that was a hobby that I picked up instead of dirt bikes, where I played about an hour a day for about three or four years. And got pretty good at it. But much, much cheaper and much safer than dirt bikes. So anyway, I was willing to be adaptable to my financial circumstances. That was when I was a lower wage. I mean, right out of college. And last thing I'll say is there's this blog post from Mr. Money Mustache that I found really interesting. And it's called like the ridiculously simple math of early retirement. And think about it. If you're just trying to save 10% of your income and you live off 90%, well, it's going to take you nine years. Nine times 10%, I mean 90%. So it would take you nine years to save up for one year of life. Now, obviously, if you're investing that 10%, it's going to get dividends. It's going to get some compounding and some appreciation and growth and that sort of thing. But it's going to take about eight or nine years, right? Versus what if you save 25% of your income and live off of 75%? Well, it would only take three years at 25% savings to equal 75% that you live off of. So three years to save up one year of living. Okay, what if you save 40%? It's going to take you a year and a half. What if you save 50%? Every year that you live, you save up another year. And so that's the benchmark that we went for. We wanted to save 50% of our take-home pay, of our net pay, and put those into investments that would pay us. So that's kind of what we've tried to do. And I'll have more episodes where I can talk about getting to that number. But anyway, just know that it is possible. Start looking 
for small changes that you can make, just 1%. But anyway, that's how it was like from the beginning of my marriage. And basically like we were extremely frugal. We were living off like 20,000 and saving 20,000 right out of college. And it's made a huge difference. So basically, if I want to live off 25,000, if I want an extra 5,000 in the in the year, then I need to find a way to make 10,000 so that I can invest half and I can save half. Another way that this has affected me is I had read somewhere that like 50% of divorces are tied to money issues. And I saw that with my own parents. And so I had some trust issues, you could say. I mean, you could look at these as trust issues. To me, this is just being smart. But I could see how this doesn't look super great. Now, I trust my wife 100%. My wife is amazing. She is very awesome, very organized, very honest, tons of integrity. Like, I definitely married up, and I have nothing but praise for my wife. She is awesome. So when we were dating and we were getting serious and we were talking about getting married, I asked her what her net worth was, and she didn't know what I was talking about. She had no idea how to answer the question because I had had these lucrative pest control door-to-door sales jobs, and I was going up in net worth even as I was going through college and being debt-free, and I'm very fortunate to have had that situation. But anyway, my wife, on the other hand, had been very good at savings but knew little to nothing about investing. Well, actually, no, she truly did know nothing about investing. Now, she had been a piano teacher in high school and had done a great job saving up all of that money as much as she could, but she was running out by the time we were about to graduate and by the time we were about to get married. So obviously she had like basically a zero net worth and and I had one in the mid five figures. And so, let's see, basically I wanted to make sure that she had a good credit score and see if she had any credit cards or things like that. And so I showed all that, like I had a credit card in college. I've never paid interest on a credit card because I always pay it off in full. I don't just think, oh, this is free money I can spend and then pay a bunch of interest. So I've never been that way, but I have nothing against credit cards for the most part. And anyway, we checked each other's credit scores with Credit Karma, and that was all fine and dandy. And just like I mentioned in part one, where my mom would open up credit cards in secret and then memorize all the numbers in case they got cut up or taken away from her by my, my dad. But basically... I had my wife and I check each other's credit karma once a month, and we still do this probably once a quarter. We'll check each other's credit karma, and just it's just full transparency. I just think that should be part of the marriage. Like you're combining everything, and credit cards though are not that way. They're like more personal. Obviously, you can have an authorized user, and they can have their own login and see stuff. But you know, not everyone goes to the trouble to set that up. So. I wanted a system of trust and transparency, of accountability, basically going into marriage, and credit karma, checking each other's credit this way, was that solution to this concern that I had going into marriage. The other solution to the concern was Personal Capital. It's an awesome app, one of my favorites, and basically what Personal Capital does is you link your bank accounts, your investment accounts, whatever else you have. It'll take the Zestimate from Zillow for your home if you have one or from your investment properties and you can link your mortgages and everything and it doesn't have access to any of these accounts but it basically just reads the totals from the accounts 
So we link all of our credit cards, bank accounts, investment accounts, and real estate on personal capital, and it will track all of the transactions in one spot. It will also break down your investment portfolio compared to modern portfolio theory and like the efficient frontier and all this fancy investing stuff of basically how to diversify your portfolio. They have a service that does that. I do not use them. My dad does. Seems like they do okay. But I would never pay the fee for them to do something that I can do myself because I am a money nerd. So it's really not that hard or anything. But anyway, personal capital has been really great for just tracking our finances and tracking our net worth. And keeps my wife, once again, on the same page, full transparency, so that we can trust each other, so that we do have accountability for our actions. So that's definitely one way that my upbringing kind of pushed me towards these solutions and I highly recommend those tools. There's a personal capital alternative that is specifically built for couples. It's called Zeta and I will also link that. I do have referral links to these where we both get 10 or 20 bucks I think. So not a bad deal if you're interested in tracking your net worth over time. It's actually a super cool application. I love it. Basically, I can check my whole financial picture in one spot at any time. It updates everything on a daily basis, so it's pretty cool. The point is, is that we have transparency and we have consensus on what we're spending our money on, and we have it automated to invest off the top so we don't have to think about it. So we've kind of got this thing going, and and I think that's really important. I'll have more episodes on this topic, but... It definitely was a big focus on the early parts of my marriage, and it has continued to be. So I'm trying to think how else it affected me. Obviously, I did get pushed to build this podcast and to start blogging, and I've done all that. I have kind of coached some people at times. I've saved people a lot of fees in their 401ks. I help people choose funds, minimize taxes, set up donor advice funds, um different stuff like that. I'm no expert in any of these, so none of this should be construed as financial advice, just as entertainment and informational purposes only. Please do your own research, always, on any investment or any tax strategy, etc., especially when it comes to crypto. Um, But anyway, that's kind of how things have gone, and uh, I guess you could even say Bitcoin takes this all a step further because there is a transparent blockchain And you can have full transparency that way, kind of similar to personal capital. And I've never really done it myself. I don't know how to check the blockchain exactly, but definitely would be interested in learning. And anyway, I geek out on this money stuff. I do read mostly like self-development books and personal finance books. If you're looking for a good one, I found The Millionaire Next Door really interesting. And basically it just talks about how most of the millionaires in America are self-made. And many of them are kind of like stealth wealth. A lot of the nice houses that you see around neighborhoods in your city, and your town, they are high-income people. But in actuality, they probably are no better off than the average person is. Um, whether they make 50000 or 500000 A lot of the people that live in these nicer homes, while well, obviously they could be financially free. Most of them are not statistically. 
And uh, the Millionaire Next Door book really dives deep into the data on this and does a lot of surveys. So every chapter was like, oh, this is interesting. We're going to go into this topic. And then it starts getting, okay, deep in the data. Okay, we're getting a little boring here. And then boom, here comes some amazing insights. So it is a little bit of a tougher read. I wouldn't shy away from it, though. It's pretty cool. And I've said this before, and it might come off as boasting a little bit, but, you know, I personally try to live stealth wealth. We have vehicles that are 15 and 20 years old. I wear shoes that are 9 years old. I wear shirts that have holes in them and are bleach stained at times. And I do all these things. I live in a modest home. It's definitely not the biggest on my street by any means. It is a, a relatively modest home for what we could probably afford. And I do that on purpose because I don't want to live above my means. And that is why I am on track to be a millionaire hopefully way faster than average, but not there yet. And that's the thing is, is that some people want to look rich. Other people want to be rich. I want to be rich. I don't want to look rich. Most of the people that are in those fancy houses and fancy cars are just as broke as the average person. And, and again, it might come off as boastful, but I'm in the 90th percentile for my age net worth wise, but I don't look like it. I mean, I'm the one that's dumpster diving and picking up stuff from the curb. So that's my thing is just uh, be different. I'm not a huge Dave Ramsey fan, but he kind of talks about normal is broke. Be weird. And, and I do really appreciate that sentiment. I'm more of a Clark Howard type guy personally. But uh, anyway, there's that. I'm just going to let this kind of fizzle out and I'm going to end this rant of how it has affected me. I'm going to think about it some more. Maybe there will be some follow-up to this, but uh, but there's that. Be sure to check out Personal Capital and Credit Karma. I can refer you to both, and I think we both get $20 to Amazon. So just know that it's another tool to help you be financially independent, and with that, I'll be back with you soon. Remember that financial independence is doable.